another episode of Extra Bases with Bristol and Booth. So three straight weeks, Jeremy. Three straight weeks. This is officially a streak. It is a streak. It is a streak. We're on it. We're rolling. We are rolling. It's a winning streak so far. Let's keep it going. Yes. Carlos Correa dropping a hint the other day that, um, I mean, he's already said he's not afraid of testing the free agency waters. And then in an interview with The Athletic, he says, my last year with the Astros, hopefully we can win another championship. I can lead this great organization with two of them. Your reaction to that comment? I don't. I mean, I don't think that's much of a hint. I think that's directly saying I'm out of here. You know, um, I, I think he's going to test the market. You know, you saw Francisco Lindor, uh, who's got was what signed for 341 million dollars. You know, he's going to compare himself at least to that um, in his offensive production, his age, and his timeline. You know, they were drafted one year apart, so it makes sense. Both high school kids. I think Lindor was eighth overall to Cleveland. Obviously, Correa was one in 2011 and in 2012, respectively. Um, you know, look, he's he to me, he's still got a lot to um, to prove for durability as far as consistency. We all knew he could hit. Uh, you know, he kind of bet on himself, and he's certainly going to pass whatever the Astros would have paid him. Uh, you know, in March or in, in in before the season started, but he's not. I don't think he's Francisco Lindor type of money. Um, we'll see where it goes. You know, the markets kind of limited themselves pretty fast. Did the Yankees do something? Is he welcomed in New York? Can he handle New York? Clearly the Mets aren't going to do anything. Uh, you got to figure the Rangers are going to go out and spend money. That's a division he knows. That's a state of Texas still. Um, you know, they might, you know, we just talked their, their, uh, their media market might support that. Certainly their stadium is going to support that. Um, are the angels going to do it? Maybe the angels do it without a Pujols coming off the books. Um, you know, do the Blue Jays do it with some of their people? So, you know, the markets are there, five, six, seven, eight teams, maybe to get involved. All you need is one, and he's going to come out ahead. With what the Astros decide to do with him is remains to be seen. Now, on the Astros side, Jason, I'll tell you, they got to sign him. They, they need to sign him because we've said it, I'll say it again, there's nothing in the system to replace him. So you've got to have something to keep this window open and extended while you've got Bregman and you've got Correa. Now you can, you just traded Abraham Toro. So your answer at third base or potential answer at third base is now gone. If you move Bregman to short in, again, in theory, a lot of things the Astros can do in the open market as well. So um, for me, I'm signing him and I'm keeping him here. Doesn't sound like he wants me back. Talk about consistency. If you look at the war for all players in 2021, Guess who's number one among position players this year in war? It's Carlos Correa. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I, war is a stat that is a lot of fun, I think. Um, I, I don't know how much stock I put into it. I certainly pay attention to it. But look, there's no doubt he's having a, a, a really good year. There's no doubt he's earning some money. Um, there's no doubt that he knows those things are true. Um, and his camp will as well, and he'll, he's going to pass whether the Astros are willing to pay him. Alex Bregman's back. It's very interesting to hear them talk about Alex Bregman this year moving forward in the sense that Alex Bregman may have to play baseball a little differently than he's used to playing, that he might have to dial it back a little bit. Reading the tea leaves here, I wonder if Alex Fregman is a little more 
injured or hurt. I mean, certainly he was on the injured list and rehabbing a lot longer than I think many had thought. I wonder if at the end of the season, we'll get one of those Alex Bregman underwent such and such a surgery and he shouldn't be ready for spring training. And I'm wondering if, if that's what's really at work here that he can play, but he shouldn't push himself too much or he'll have to be shut down for the remainder of the season. Uh, I think the Astros are in a position where they feel like they can manage his workload if he can help them a little bit, just a little bit. And, and I'm not, look, that's, that's a complete, complete guess based on some of the factors that, that you just mentioned. And I agree. Time. I'm guessing but, as well. I'm guessing yeah, as well. But I, I would say that it would make sense that if he's productive enough to hit and be in that lineup and be in a, lo a low stress position, which third base is not a low stress position, but it's certainly lower stress than shortstop or second base. Um, if he's able to do that and they're able to manage his innings and play him a couple days and get a day off and rest him and rehab him while he's playing a little bit, that's been done. Not everybody has to be 100% to get back in the lineup. I mean, there's plenty of players. Heck, I don't think any of those guys, when they go out there, 100% any given day. It's just that's part of baseball. So, um, he, you know, Bre Bregman, what, I, what I've always said about him, regardless of some of the maturity factor that he has had, um, and, you know, and you, and you know what I'm talking about, and we've talked about that before, some of the maturity issues he's had. There's never been any question the kid could hit. He's been able to hit since he, since he you know, fell out of the womb. There's never been any question that he had fire and that he had compete and all that. And I told you for me, um, and, and look, I, it's obvious, Alex, and without getting into um, any of this, Alex listens to what is said about him sometimes. People tell him, I'm sure he's not paying attention to every podcast or what's going on. But from I have personal knowledge that Alex is, um, listens to what's said. Let's just, let's just let's leave it at that. And what I can tell you is, where he made me a believer wasn't even in high school. We were scouting him in Albuquerque or with, or with all the USA baseball stuff he did or in the area codes. He made me a believer two different times. The first one was he tried to make himself into a catcher to prove value, and that was in high school. And the second one was when they played Cuba and when he was with Team USA Collegiate. And I want to say that was 2012 or 13, maybe 13. Um, when was he drafted? He was 15, so that would be 2013. So summer 2013, and he, it wasn't a play he took off. He was spitting nails. He was hustling every chance he got. Um, that's where he made me a believer in his compete function. It was always there, but you saw it kind of mature. And, and I've also seen him in the College World Series as a freshman where he made a couple errors in a game um, that kind of co helped cost LSU some runs, and he doesn't have any quit. So it's not surprising to see him come back now, um, even if it's a little bit early, and make sure he's on the field. How's that, Alex? The better? The good? Okay. Carlos Correa's war is uh, five. ESPN has him at 5.8. And where he really picks up a lot of ground is defensively. I mean, he's third in baseball in defensive war at 2.2. You throw in the 4.3 offense, and then he's at 5.8. And it's crazy to think that he's tied with Wade Miley with the highest wins above replacement this season. This is, this is part of the reason why war is, um, is suspect because as good as Wade Miley has done in Cincinnati, um, Carlos Correa, as in, forget the name, a everyday position player, 10 times out of 10 over some of the pitches every five days. Okay. I'm just, 
That's what it is. And um, it doesn't mean that Wade Miley is unimportant. I mean, he was an, he was an Astro too at one point, right? Um, it's also interesting that Wade Miley is 87 to 91, maybe 88, 92. And man, he sure is carving guys up in the league where we got to throw 116 miles per hour to have value, right? So it's, um, it, it's interesting to see that. But look, you know, Carlos Correa, regardless of the war total, has, has proven that he is, an, again, can stay on the field at least now, elite shortstop, matured last year. For me, his maturity year was last year. Um, maybe he's ready to be the leader people thought he could be. Um, and he hasn't always had the best reputation with his teammates and he hasn't always had the best reputation with people around. And, and, and none of that matters because you're professionals to, you know, it doesn't matter. Bonds didn't have a great reputation either, right? Jeff Kent had still today, people don't like Jeff Kent, right? I mean, that doesn't matter. As long as you go out and produce and help your team win, that's what matters. You have to take care of yourself. Maybe he's becoming more of a clubhouse oriented player just by osmosis. And that's going to help his value somewhere else. And certainly here in Houston. To me, he's one of the leaders of this team, and he showed it last year. And, Jeremy, some really interesting news out of San Diego where the Padres let Larry Rothschild go. That doesn't happen very often. That doesn't happen very often. By the way, did uh, I mention that that doesn't happen very often? I'm not sure if you said that yet, but I'm glad you did. I, I can say this part of it. It does happen occasionally, but it only happens when – Oh, what's the wording? The ship is sinking and you need somebody to blame. And look, the, the, the Padres went on a slide start a few weeks ago. They got some good people over there. They really do. Um, that's an organization that has, has some, some things they could probably improve on and some things that um, interesting politics, even down to who, how the manager was selected there. Interesting politics. Um, little insider information. I'm not going to give up on this podcast. But what I can say is... Um, they got some good people over there. Uh, they've spent some money now. Uh, owner you know, AJ Preller has been there seven years. He's had a couple of at least one sca scandal and suspension, right, that he's had when he was there. It's time for the Padres to win. Um, the, the San Diego Padres, you know, growing up as a Southern California native, were, were always kind of a passive spending organization. They were seen as um, a small market. They're anything but a small market in San Diego, certainly with the migration from out my hometown of Los Angeles, California, down just two hours down the, down the coast to beautiful, you know, San Diego down there in Encinitas and, 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 and just the whole area itself is Carlsbad and, and down into the city. It's all, it's very, very pretty. So um, it's a destination to play. It's a destination for people to live. People want to win, um, you know, and, and, and the, the owners want to win games. So do I think that, um, do I think that, that Rothschild, Rothschild being fired at that time, I think that just says somebody's got to be to blame. And Jace Tingler isn't going to be the guy to take the blame. Jace Tingler's MO is never to blame himself. That's just who he is. And, and I don't, I'm not saying that to, yeah, I am saying, it. you know, man, leaders take ownership of, of when they're wrong. I do it. Other people do it that I've been around. I was taught to do that, you know, and Jace Tingler is the type of guy that goes, that's your fault, you know, and he won't say that publicly, but he'll do it privately and then bang. So, you know, Ross style is kind of the, uh, the, the, the scapegoat here. It's not, it's not uncommon. I'm not saying he did an excellent job. I'm not saying he did a termination worthy job. And all you have to do to see how that can work out sometimes is number one, look at the slide that they're still on, by the way. And the second part is let's go about 4,000 miles away to the opposite end of the country to the New York Mets. And let's look at what the offense has done since Chili Davis and, and, and Slater were fired. 
right? Since they let those guys go, Michael Conforto, I'm not sure how this happened. I got a lot of arrows in my life pointing towards New York right now. Um, but I turned on the TV last night and, and, and I haven't turned on the TV in the room I was in um, in a little bit, four or five days, turned it on. And sure enough, it's on MLB Network. And the first thing I see is Mets, this Jerry Kuzman getting his number retired and Mets and it's the Mets game. And I'm watching Conforto, someone who else I've seen since early in high school. And it's not the same guy you saw with Chili Davis and Slater there. It's not the same offense. It's a scuffling crew because they're focused on the wrong things at the moment. But that was a change that was made halfway through the year. That's, that's my point. That's the correlation. So you tie it back to Larry Rothschild, and that's just that's a scapegoat situation, and, and it's, that's not really going to fool anybody. Here's one of Jeremy's favorite parts of the podcast. One of Jeremy's favorite parts of the podcast is when I go back and I tell Jeremy how right he was. <laughs> So there was some changes made in Philadelphia, a little, not a little, a lot of upheaval within the baseball operations department in Philadelphia. Now, while looking through some articles about that on MLB.com, it talked about the Phillies recent draft classes and basically how the draft classes compared to where they were picking. I mean, they have the number one overall pick. And they had one, I think, eighth and ninth and 15th. So, and I know you're not a big fan of war, Jeremy. I get it. But this is probably a good measurement stick here. This is from MLB.com. The Phillies' cumulative picks from 2016 to 2020 have a combined 2.2 war. which is tied with Houston for the 11th lowest mark in baseball. We started doing this podcast, what, 2017? And a lot of times I was hearing Jeremy. Jeremy made some comments about the recent draft classes for the Astros. And a lot of people didn't like those. I made one or two. And you look at what has come to fruition with those draft classes thus far. Jury's still out. Jeremy. The jury's out for what? They, well, they listen, for the, 20, for the 2020 draft class. Who was the 2020 pick again? Uh, it was that pitcher, right? Uh, Alex Santos, would that have been right? Yeah, yeah. You can't count 2020. That's fine. You can't count any of that yet across the board. I mean, the Phillies' number one pick. In, in 2020 was one Mick Abel, who is 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 well known here and 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 we'll call yes we will we'll call him family. Okay. So um the, the Phillies just for a second um that job isn't done yet as far as firing. I would like to go on record right now and volunteer to be the one that fires Jason Ochart. I'll do it right now. I don't want, I won't have to work there. I'll do it for free. I'll even pay my own way out there. Just let me be the guy that fires Jason Ochart and all that garbage you're throwing out there in that organization. Now that started with Matt Clintac, who came from, by the way, wait a minute, Anaheim working with Jerry Depoto out there. That was that crew. Depoto goes to Seattle. Clintac goes to Philly. 
Uh, DePoto, you know, continues to reinvent himself. They're doing better. They're doing better in Seattle. Good for Jerry. Philly is an absolute dumpster fire. It's a dumpster fire. And their player development is worse than the Houston Astros player development. Y'all know how I felt about it until very, you know, very recently when the Astros have actually made some really, really good adjustments. They hired Jason Kranzler, I believe it is, who's a good dude, lives here in Houston area, good at what he does, good with hitters, brought him on in a capacity. The, the, the Mets um, somehow hired the hitting coordinator away from the Astros to go over there with Kevin Howard before Kevin Howard got promote, promoted to their assistant hitting coach in the Vigils, and that guy's running player development. Okay, so the Astros, however, this drafting and developing only by analytics doesn't work. It doesn't work. And what they did here didn't work. And when you look at um, Corey Lee, he was what, 19? Was he 2019, Corey Lee? Corey Lee is, is an upside-down profile guy. He's got power. He can throw. Can't catch it all. Not a lot of hit. That's about what he's doing. It's about what he's doing in the minor leagues. By, by the way, the game gets faster and better the higher you go. You have Seth, would you like another beer? Okay. And he is where? He's in Arizona. How's he doing again? We've been over this. He's doing pretty well. But I would argue that, I mean, the Diamondbacks are really bad. So if he was that much of an impact guy, wouldn't he have been? Get him up. Get him up. Get him in the big leagues. See what we got. Um, you've got Bukowskis, who's made his debut, right? You've got uh, Corbin Martin somewhere, second rounder. He's in there. Uh, it's, he was on Tommy. Yeah, Tommy John uh, problems. Was he, he traded Arizona too? He was in that deal, so he's over there. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. The Astros have and then not Josh drafted. Rojas was the other guy. Yeah, so I mean, the Astros have not drafted well. Um, and you could argue Josh Rojas is the best player in that deal. I mean, I don't think there is any argument right now. He's I would hitting, argue he's got 11 homers and he's hitting about 280. So I would argue that of the three organizations, four organizations we've talked about today already Astros, uh, San Diego, um, Mets, and Phillies. I would argue that the Astros have drafted the worst, the Phillies right, ab right above that. I would argue that the Mets are second and the Padres are first. And the reason why the Padres are first for me is because they got better depth. The Mets have done a very good job in the first round, a, a good job in the second round but they've got better depth um, when it comes to San Diego, right? Um, that said, that said, the development, the player development that's gone on in these organizations, um, the Mets are not good. Um, and by not good, I mean terrible. Um, the Astros have been really bad and have made some improvements under James Click, and that needs to be said. There's a lot of hope for me with the Houston Astros without Jeff Luna. I, I just I cannot say that enough without Jeff Luno and without Mike Elias here. This is a much better organization top to bottom already. And I, and I understand that they want a World Series. While they were here. Forget the cheating part. They, you know, other people were fine. They want a World Series while they were here. It's a better organization top to bottom with James Click in the chair. Um, when you have the Phillies, Dave Dombrowski has, is, is obviously going to be a little more traditional leaning in what he does. Um, he's not afraid of numbers, but he doesn't want to be micromanaged by numbers, right? He's not going to be uh, uh, paralysis by analysis. And the Phillies player development has been as bad as the Mets have been development-wise. Uh, the Phillies player development is probably worse. It is absolutely a, a, a atrocious what they've done over there. 
Um, and they got to clean house and then go back and make sure they didn't miss any crumbs in the corners when they're using the brooms to sweep them out the door. That's how bad they are, okay? The Astros, the Astros, that was right, great. Okay, that's right. They have a chance to turn the corner. They have some good people that are starting to plug into the organization. Chris Gross is going to do what he's told. He's going to do a better job in the draft room. Um, you know, and that's that's good. So, you know, yeah, they may have been bad before, but things are going to get better. Actually, Jake Myers is looking pretty good from the 2017 draft, 13th round. But that's where their analytics are. 13th round expectations are better than the first, right? The guy hits in the 13th round, you're like, that's a great draft. The guy goes 1-1, Brady Aiken, he's not at A ball yet. You got a problem, right? The, guy's, the guy goes 1-1 and he's making sandwiches. You got a problem, you know? I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying, if, if a guy, um, you know, is a 17th pick in the country and can't, can't break you know, triple A because he can't stay healthy or can't stay off the whatever he's using in his system. You know, he's got suspensions and he's got, you know, makeup problems. You got to know that stuff. You got an area scout, maybe you knew, you know, I mean, how many of the guys at the top of the draft, you got to miss, you can't miss in the top of the draft, man. You can't miss, you can't miss in the first round. You can't miss in the second round. You can't really miss in the third round, but there's different expectations by that. You start balancing out different places, you know, um, it's it, it, depending how you how you shoot for or what you hit on you, you can you can the 13th rounder that, that looks good is going to look a lot different than somebody who's a first rounder like Chaz McCormick use him as an example you expect Chaz McCormick to be an everyday all-star so anything he gives you the big league levels a win right based on where he was drafted what the expectations are Mark Appel if Mark Appel shows up in the big leagues tomorrow how do you feel about it should be an all-star because he was 1-1 one, one. but he's not Right. So if you should, you're like, OK, that's great, Mark. Congratulations. You're in the big leagues. And it is, it is an achievement. But on on the side that we're talking about, the lens we're talking about, it's, it's a whiff. It's a complete miss. It's that what's that Bugs Bunny gif where the guy's swinging and missing or Daffy Duck swinging and missing at the baseball all the time. I mean, that was the Astros draft from 2000. Um, well, under the Jeff Luno, Mike Elias regime. That's that's the whiff. And, and here's here's where I'm going to go ahead and and tie this in for you. You know, Mike Elias says the Orioles have the best system in baseball. I was going over this with somebody yesterday. Um, they have some good players, but that, those good players are about five or six players. And that tells you how we're misevaluating systems and how bad some of the drafts have been. Because if five good players put you at the top, and two of them, by the way, he didn't even draft, okay? Grayson Rodriguez and the Hall kid from Canada, not his. Gary Rasich and Dan Duquette. Okay, these players start with Rushman. They got Adley Rushman. They have um, a cursed dad who, that's a whiff for me. Yeah, that's a whiff. And I, I, we said it when he was taken, we're like, two, really? Two? Not 22, not 42, two? Um, but he did the same thing with Seth Beer, historically. Now they've got Colton Kowser. We'll see how that works out. And that's a good pick. That's a good pick. I mean, some people will say it's an overdraft. I, I'd say if he's an everyday big leaguer, it's not an overdraft. It's a good pick at five, right? So, um, He's got two players he's drafted. Good for you. You're tanking again and losing 161 out of 162 games. Congratulations. Mark Capel update. Three and five this year, 5.93 ERA, 1.68 whip. He's uh, struck out 55 and 60 innings, and he is currently with the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs, the AAA affiliate of the Phillies.
Mark Appel will probably pitch in the big leagues at some point, maybe for a day, but he's going to get a chance to get up there only because he was 1-1. And the Phillies are the right place to do it because their player development is trash. Right. Yeah. So, well, I don't know. I don't know if it's trash or not. It's not ranked very high. Um, I don't know who that guy is that you mentioned. I think he's a driveline guy, but that's all I know about him. So Jason, Jason Ochar should be uh, teaching golf lessons. How's that? Okay. And and I don't know anything about him. I do. I I know enough to know he should be teaching golf or, or maybe miniature golf. You know, it just is not, he has no business teaching people how to swing a bat at a ball traveling towards you fast. Like he has no round ball, round bat, swing. Nope. Sorry. Scott Kingery um, has had a couple that has had the double whammy. He's got Ochart on this side. He has somebody else. I'm just not even going to do the, do the, uh, the honor of mentioning this guy uh, teaching on this way. And Scott Kingery was a dude, man. He was a prospect and a half. I, I loved him. Loved him when he was at Arizona. I was like, this guy, get this guy. Chuck Knobloch, let's, we couldn't get to him. Let's get him. He'll play second base. He plays left field. He's going to hit. We know he's going to hit. Oops. You ran into these two guys in development, and all they said was, yeah, we're going to develop you out of baseball. That's what we're going to do. We're going to develop you to play for the Phillies. We're going to develop you to go back and coach the Phillies in your nine-year-old son's Little League. Okay? That's what they did. And I, it's just – Ochart has no, bi- no business doing anything in, as a hitting coach in this game. And I will say that every day, twice tomorrow, talk to me next Wednesday. I'll say it again. Okay. No business whatsoever. So the Phillies have a lot of work to do. Um, good for Dave Dabrowski for doing what he thinks he has to do is, in, with his vision. I'm not saying that Brian Manitti's a, a, a bad at what he does. Maybe, you know, he's still with the organization. There's probably some, some other ways he could do it to oversee things that are different than player development and scouting to really contribute with his, with his skill set. You know, he's been in the game a long time. He's had some, uh, a track record, you know, Josh Bonifay, um, Cam Boniface kid, you know, Cam did a good job for a long time. And, 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 and so, you know, Josh has, has made his own way a little bit, but like I said, he's, he's Cam Boniface kid and Cam did a good job for a long time. Okay. So, you know, it, it's, it, I'm not trying to look, I'm, I'm, go a little bit too far on, on some of these guys on purpose to make the point, but these, you know, both these guys will land on their feet somewhere. Bonifay is going to land as a scout in the organization. Um, you know, again, Brian Manitti, uh, you know, is a very good numbers guy, very good analytics guy has, has some models in place for things he wants to do for player personnel um, that, you know, maybe as, as they evolve and tweak would be a better fit in a different department in the organization or maybe somewhere else, but certainly not overseeing player development and scouting at least this time around didn't work. So, um, but the Phillies player development is, is not good at all. Do I have time to go through an old scouting report or do you have to go? Cause you've been on a roll here. What you got? What we got? Well, it actually is, I'm surprised we haven't mentioned him before. And he was in the news the other day because he retore his Achilles tendon after nine months of rehab. Who that? From Canada, 2015, Mike Soraka. He tore it again? Yes. Where was I? Not with Mike Soraka. Wow. Tore it again? Mike Soraka already went through nine grueling months of rehab, reads the Associated Press, after blowing out his right Achilles tendon. Now he's doing it all over again. 
The uh, burgeoning Atlanta Braves star spoke Monday for the first time since getting the shocking news that he retore his Achilles and would need another major operation. This process is not something I'd wish on somebody, anybody, said Soraka, who was sitting in with the Braves broadcast team for a game against the New York Yankees. But I know I'll be stronger from it. I'm looking forward to that day when I can look back and draw strength from this entire process. In 2015, you had him as a major league starter in a number three role. Good comp, man. At least body comparison, Charles Nagy. Number three starter in major league role, ground ball specialist that can get swings and misses and soft contact with any of his three pitches. Not afraid to use his stuff in any count to either side of the plate. Works off his fastball, can command it down in the zone and to both sides of the plate. Slider needs to be tightened, but can use it on and off the plate now. Change with good arm speed and sell. Can pitch to situation and miss bats. Not afraid of contact. Makes adjustments pitch to pitch. Durable frame built for a high innings load that projects to get stronger. Enough life and strength to hold up over the long haul. I didn't like him at all. First round. <laughs> would take. First round. Would take. ETA 2019. When he showed up. I think that was the year that he made the all-star team was 2019. I think he yep. showed up in 18, right? Well, he made the all-star game as a rookie in 2019. Yeah, so he showed up in 18, like got to the big leagues for yeah, a minute. Didn't yeah. qualify for. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I'm not sure I liked him much. Um, you know, but look, he's, I, I thought that in a, in a in a draft that was a little more throwback, he's a he's a top 10 pick. I mean, that's the type of guy that somebody takes um, just on pure scouting. In today's world. People want a little more velocity than he showed, a little more present velocity. And he was up to 92, 93, I think, sat mostly 91. Uh, this is all from memory, by the way. You have the report in front of you. I'd seen him for a couple of years off and on. I saw him out west. I saw him. You go to Team Canada Can to see him? No, I was in the Dominican to see him. Okay. He was with Team Canada. So I saw him down there. You had uh, him in number 21 on your. 21 on the board. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was 2015, mm -hmm. right? Um yeah, I, I liked him. I mean, I thought I thought that if we had a chance, we weren't taking him where we picked. I mean, that was 2015. We didn't have a first rounder. So we weren't taking the first pick was 60. And he was going to be long gone by then. So you, know, you just kind of rank those guys ahead of you. The guy we had actually actually took at 60 was um, Nick Niter. We took Nick Niter at 60. And then we took Andrew Moore, who I, nice kid. Nice kid, real respectful possibly one of the worst draft picks at that part of the of the draft in the history of baseball or the draft it was absolutely terrible and he got to the big leagues with a very bad seattle team and it was a, a bag of fours and slow everything and you know it's, it's it's what we call bp you know hitting he was that 7-11 guy up seven down 11 that's when he gets the ball that's it so i mean oregon was, state right oregon oh, state. and he wanted 300 grand to sign and our guy was like yeah let's give him 800 what you know, hasn't pitched uh, hasn't pitched in the big since 2019 and that and you know what he shouldn't have pitched in the bigs at all okay he was, oh, he was jeremy you know, I'm, Come sorry. On. I'm sorry I'm, I'm happy for him he did it he was a great kid but it you know our, our guy compared him to paul bird and i was like what paul bird which one like the guy the, the big leaguer the guy which paul bird which, is there a paul bird in the phone book in seattle i should go look at what are we talking about i couldn't understand what he was doing and Good for, good for Andrew Moore, but Andrew Moore was 220 something on my list. On my list, he was two. You saw, you have, you have it. Look, he's down the 200 somewhere. 220, 221. 
We took him 72 in the country. I'm sorry, what? I have it. You have him at 121. 121. That's what it was. 121. Swingman and uh, something in major league role. Oh, middle relief. Not afraid. Has good mound presence. Must command the ball as it's his fastball is flat, flat and straight. And how'd that work out? Enough stuff to get through the lineup one time before hitters get to him. Well, that's perfect in today's game. That's when that's a first rounder today, I guess. Right. So. Um, All right. In any event, any yeah. event. All right. Like, subscribe, do all that. I don't think about Andrew Moore. Come on, man. <laughs> Churchill's going to love that one. Yeah. Yeah. Andrew. Let's go. <laughs> all right, everybody. For Jeremy, I'm Jason. Thanks for tuning in once again to the Extra Basis podcast. <laughs>